Hallelujah. Well, today I want you to open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to be, begin a series on building strong and healthy relationships. And this morning I'm doing the introduction. Next week, Pastor Tim and Eve are going to do a session together. The following week, the 22nd, Sean and Dana are going to do a session together. And then the last one, Pastor Sue and I will close it out on the 29th, and uh, we'll do a session together. So going to be some, the next four weeks are going to be great and uh, so we encourage you, don't miss it, invite somebody. These are going to help all of us. Amen? Let me just give you a couple ideas. Proverbs 27, 17 says this. says, iron sharpens iron. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens the countenance of a friend. And so as you get together, and how many know when iron sharpens iron, that means something being, in order to sharpen a knife, you have to shave something off of it. So something's getting, being taken away, but it's producing a, a, a better results in the end. Amen? And when we go through things with the relationship, we find there's always that whittling process, that removal process, that sharpening, that honing process in our lives. And uh, so we have to learn how to deal with that. And then we think about, just before we read this in Genesis, in fact, Genesis 2.18, is, uh, you can look at it, but it just says, God said this about man. And he said, the Lord God took, uh, verse 18, he said, and the Lord said, God said, it's not good that man should be alone. It's not good that man should be alone. God did not create man in the beginning to be alone. He created him for relationship. Number one, relationship with him. Amen. Man was created for relationship with God. So from the purpose of creation is for relationship. Are you with me? And understanding that will touch on this a little bit more. The devil understands that, and so he fights against these things. We'll hit that a little bit harder here in just a minute. And so it says, so I will make him a helper, someone comparable to him. Hallelujah. But in dealing with that, we find there's so many references, and as you read the scriptures, everything about that. How many know we just sang about, Lord, I'm amazed by you and his redemption? What has he done? He's reconciled. Jesus came to reconcile us back into a right relationship with God. This whole Bible and, and the Word of God is a book of relationship. Are you listening to me? So when I understand that relationships are the key and the foundational basis for our life. Amen. And then I started thinking as I was sitting down there, I'm just meditating and I can't always keep having these scriptures come up. And I usually over prepare and throw way too much at you. But that's good. It makes you use your brain. Amen. You need to rely on something other than your smartphone. It's no good when your phone's smarter than you are. Amen. And so it is because if you don't know how to use it, it's smarter than you. Amen. So moving right along. The Ten Commandments, think about this, the Ten Commandments are all relationship commandments. The first four commandments are talk about your relationship with God. The second six commandments are about your relationship with other people. Everything God does in our life, He does for us to be able to have good relationships. Amen? And so that is so important for us to understand. So Genesis 2, I also want you to look at Proverbs chapter 6 with me if you would. Proverbs chapter 6, as we think about this. Proverbs 6 says that there are six things that the Lord hates, and then seven is an abomination. Beginning in verse 16, these six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord amongst the brethren. How I many know all those things have to deal with relationships with people? 
Every one of those has to deal with relationships. And so the things that God does not like, the things that he hates, are the things that sow discord and strive and contention into relationship. In fact, God even said he hates it. We don't think about, well, God is love. Yeah, but there's some things he really doesn't like. And it goes a little further than just not liking. It says he hates it. And then there's actually an abomination to him when somebody is sowing discord or strife or division into relationships. God takes that serious. Are you listening to me? And so when we understand that, it, it, it helps us break out of some things and give no place to the devil. Go with me to Psalm 133. This is such a powerful passage. And uh, we really don't think about it maybe all that much. But I want you to hear what Psalms 133 says. If you're familiar with it, you know what it said. But Psalms 133, all, all of the verses, there's three verses here. Listen to it. Behold how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in... You can say it louder than that. Unity. Unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down to the edges of his garment. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there, somebody say there. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now there is not referring to the mountain. There is referring to the unity. God commands his blessing on unity. Are you listening to me? So he says, the place I bless is the place of unity. Where there's strife and division and contention, God can't do too much there. He's limited by what he can do. The more we come into it. How many know Ephesians chapter 4 says that the purpose of, of, the, of the fivefold ministry is to bring us all into the unity of the faith. Or into the place of agreement. Unity deals with agreement. Amos says it like this, can two walk together unless they be in one accord or in agreement? So there has to be unity, amen? There has to be unity. We have to be in one accord of one mind. On the, on the day of Pentecost, it says that they were all in one place and in one accord, or they were there in agreement or in unity, and what happened? God poured out His Spirit upon them. Amen? And so th this is such a powerful truth. Look at your outline with me. So God declared it was not good for man to be alone. So it is not good for us to be alone. In fact, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 1 says this, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desires and separates himself from all sound wisdom. The reason we isolate ourselves is become we, we become self-centered. And the moment I become self-centered, God did not create us to be alone. He created us for relationship, for connection. And when I isolate myself, it means I'm only thinking about myself. This will get better and you'll like me more before we get done. And so dealing with that, and so we come in that place of isolation and separation, but the reason I isolate myself is because I'm driven by my own desire. I want everything my way. I want it done this way. I don't want to compromise. I don't want to be a part. I don't want to give in. I'm right, and everybody else in the world would be better if they just all agreed with me. Amen. So... It reveals the place where God, Genesis, we saw that God says the blessing there is where unity is. 
Look at this. A place, our place for greatest struggle and opposition is our place of greatest strength, victory, and blessing. The enemy only attacks the areas that release the provision, blessing, and strength of God in your life. Our place of greatest struggle, hear it, and opposition is also our place of greatest strength, victory, and blessing. The enemy only attacks in the areas that release the provision, blessing, and strength of God in our life. The two areas the enemy attacks the most are this, are our relationships and our finances. The two areas you have your biggest battles in, in a marriage or in anything, there's three things in marriage. We're not going to get into all of it this morning. The three greatest struggles in marriage are communication, sex, and money. All marriage counseling will usually deal around communication, your sex life, and your finances. Yeah, the amen goes right there. In fact, I was reading some old notes, and that's, a, that's, that's what the black preacher says to the congregation. Hey, guys, the amen goes right there. Amen. Watch it. So think about it. The two areas the enemy attacks the most are relationships and finances, are places of connection and sowing to cut us off from the purpose and the increase that God has for our lives. Amen. You know, when you think about it, think about what God did. Everything God asks you to do, everything the scriptures that's in the word that God asks you to do is to open the door to release his provision into your life. Anytime God asks us to do something, it's because in the beginning God made man the authority in the earth. And God can only come into the earth and works in the earth through man's agreement with him. That's just the way it works. So when God asks you to do something, you say, well, I don't want to do that. It's like I, I have a thing I wrote a while back about tithing and stuff. And so we always keep trying to tweak God's principles and his promises and, and the things he asks of us to the way we think they should be, thinking that we'll get the best return. But it never works out that way, but we try it anyway. Amen. Think about it. Relationships are the most rewarding and the most challenging are the most rewarding, most challenging aspects of our lives. There is no perfect relationship that never faces problems, that requires no adjustments, that places no demands upon our time and resources, and that does not change and grow over time if it is going to survive. Think about that again. Relationships are the most rewarding, most challenging aspects of our life. Getting along with people. People transition all the time, make changes in all their time because they feel it's easier to change location than it is to deal with fixing the relationship. What is divorce? People change location instead of fixing what's in that relationship right now. Instead of using all the investment that's already invested and all the capital that's already put, been put into that relationship and all the years that's gone into that relationship, instead of saying, hey, I have too much invested here to throw that away because what you don't fix here, you will have to fix there. If you don't deal with it here, you will deal with it there. And if you don't deal with it there, you'll go from location to location to location, and everybody else will be an excuse for you not fixing you. Amen. 
So here, relationships are the most rewarding and the most challenging aspects of our lives. There's no perfect relationship that never faces problems, requires no adjustment, that places no demands upon our time and our resources, and that does not change and grow over time if it is going to survive. Amen? It was never God's intention that we should be alone as individuals in life or as individuals in the church. There has always been a plan in the wisdom of God to have our lives become complete through addition, connection, and relationship. How does God work in our life? Through addition, through connection, and through relationships. Think about that. The moment you get saved, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body. He connects you to the body. You're connected. Everything in Scripture, Paul's epistles, right, that, that we are members one another. How is it when you come together? For, do you know, Hebrews 10.25, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. How many know all that is connection? And so you are related. But yet the devil tells us this today. You don't have to be connected. You can just be an individual believer and be all right. Well, just chop your arm off, leave it there on the pew today and see how it does. Amen. You can't just take a, a part of your body, just lay it. The, for any member of your body to function, it has to be connected to the whole. And the Bible says that we are members one of another. Are you listening to me? And, and, and we bring function and corporate, cor, corporiety, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but completeness to one another. See, I believe serving in the local church can be compared to the four men who carried their friend to Jesus so that he could be ministered to. Go with me to Mark chapter 2, if you would. Are you doing all right? Almost all transition in life is connected somehow to relationship. One way or the other. Good or bad. Mark chapter 2 verse 1. And again he entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard that he, Jesus, was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so there was no longer room to receive them. Not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about all these things in your hearts? Everybody look up here just for a moment. You know, when we're acting certain ways around certain people and we're putting on a show, how many know the Lord always knows what's in your heart? <laughs> Amen. And so, which is easier, verse 9, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of all of them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So watch this. Yeah, there's a teaching lesson in the middle of that, but how many know there's a miracle in the middle of that as well? 
And in the middle of all that, the, the story is here that through connection, one man got a healing. How many know he received something that he couldn't have got on his own without being connected in relationship with friends? And that's so important. And, and, and that just turns, gives us a little paradigm shift and turn things around on how God wants relationships to work in our life. Think about it. See, I believe that Jesus could minister to him. When we serve in children's ministry, look at your outline. When we serve in children's ministry or through the ministry of helps in any capacity, we are enabling our friends and others to be ministered to. When you're serving, when you're releasing people to be ministered to, great things begin to happen. See, we carry them and remove the obstacles that keep them from receiving. Serving makes me an active part of what God is doing in the lives of others. I'm no longer just one in the crowd watching. I'm helping to make it happen. That's a great thing about connection and coming in. The devil says, oh, you don't have to connect. But if I'm not connecting in some way, if I'm not getting involved in relationship, and here the, the analogy is, and we're going to see that there's so many comparisons between the church and family. How many know this is the family of God? Amen. The greatest analogy that Paul makes in how to deal with the relationship, he begins talking about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll read it here in a minute. But he says, I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about the church. So church is like a marriage. Let me give it to you like this. This is how church works. The, ma the, the ministry, the five-fold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, that ministry, the ministry gifts of God, are in a masculine gender. The body of Christ is in feminine gender. And when masculine and feminine come together, it's for the purpose of sowing and receiving. And when the seed is sown, then what comes out of that is new life. The two come together for the purpose of producing new life. And the, the devil doesn't want you producing new life. He wants you to be sterile. He wants to abort life. Are you listening to me? And so he does anything to keep us from coming together in proper order in our marriages and in our churches. Think about this. Why is there such an attack against the home? Because Paul says when he began to talk about the marriage and he began to talk about family, he says, I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about the church. And so the home is a representation of the body of Christ. And we learn how to relate with God. God gave us a connection and he gave it to us in such a way that we would know how to have relationship with him. Think about it. Without friends to carry him and then to remove the obstacles, he would not have received his miracle. Your service is what makes the ministry of Jesus possible. How does Jesus have ministry in the earth? When we agree and we connect and we serve one another, ministry begins to happen. Jesus was able to minister to the man because of the service of his friends. Think about that. Jesus couldn't, I mean, yeah, he, he might have come in contact with him later on. They might have got him to the street somewhere where Jesus was passing by. Something might have happened. But it for sure happened because some friends chose to serve their friend. Amen? How many know that service? How many know carrying somebody? Let me put you like that. How many know picking somebody up? How many know inviting somebody to church? How many know making something out? But building relationship. But it takes an effort and it takes an investment. See, when Jesus said he would build his church, it was through the wisdom of addition and connection. He said, I'm going to build my church through the wisdom of addition and connection. People being added to each other and bringing about completion. We have to be patient because he said he was building his church, not a drive through it takes time to build a church. People say, hey, pastor, how's the building going? I said, it's going. What are we doing? We're waiting. What are we waiting for? Plans. And then after plans, you have to wait for permits. 
Amen. And then you have to schedule work to be done and everything else and do all that. And then we're also waiting for finances. Amen. Because we borrowed all the money we're going to borrow. So the rest will be done by cash. Are you listening to me? And so with that, so it takes time to build something, to develop something. And so with that, tomorrow we're going to do a walkthrough, uh, meet with the architect and the mechanical, the engineer and stuff, so they can walk through and draw up all the electrical and plumbing and, and HVAC and all that stuff, mechanical. And so, and then the engineer will take it, then we'll, then we'll wait on him to do his work, and then we'll submit those, we'll submit them to the county. But how many know we're building a church, not a drive through Amen. And so to make that happen, there's just time involved for that to happen. He said that if we would hear his word, we would also be builders if we were wise. Say this with me. Building takes time. The old saying, Rome wasn't built in today is true. Neither is the structure of a home, a marriage, or a church. Amen. My pastor said this. I remember when Brotherhood would teach on marriage and family on a regular basis throughout the year. And he said, just said this. You show me two people with a good marriage, and I show two people who worked hard to have it. A good marriage is just hard work. It doesn't happen by accident. There's a whole thing that I've done on the difference between the types of love. We, we, we have attractive love. We have eros love. We have filial love. And, and we have all those type of things. Then you get finally, our goal is to get to agape love. Agape love is where you give sacrificially of yourself to another. True love isn't where you take. True love is expressed through giving, not receiving. Hey, listen, relationships are the best when you're giving into them. Relation, people get discouraged when they think relationship. Well, they're not ministering to me. Well, sow some seed, Bubba. If you're not having a harvest, you're probably not sowing any seed. If you're frustrated in your marriage, you're probably not sowing properly. You're doing all right. A marriage is a harvest of what two people sow into the life of each other. Amen. If you're, if you're in a dust bowl and you're having crop failure, you need to change your seed. Could you say amen? So think about this. So what do I have to have? You have to have a plan. First of all, you have to have a plan. Something that has been thought through. Amen. Relationships need to be thought through. Because if you don't think through, if you're not thinking and you're not praying and you're not allowing the Lord to lead you, especially when it comes to, to, to natural relationship between a man and a woman, two people can get together and the first thing that usually gets connected is your emotions. And once emotion gets involved, usually all wisdom goes out the door. Well, we're emotionally connecting, people trying to counsel you, trying to help you. People have seen things from the outside, maybe trying to spare you some heartache and pain down the road. But your emotions have taken over. You could write this down someplace. Every problem that you will have in life is a soulish problem. It comes out of your soul, not out of your spirit. Your spirit is perfect. When you're born again, your spirit is made alive unto God. Our challenge is to be led by the spirit and not by our soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your soul is your reasoning, your emotional content. I'll put that. And then that'll become the, 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 the foundation of your mind. That's why the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. How, I, how do I get thoughts in my mind that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God? Because I allow myself to be led by my emotions. Are you with me? And that determined then I purpose that what I feel and what I think are right and my will will not let go of it. And then it takes a place, a place. But we're in love. All we need is each other. Okay, let me know if that works. 
And then you need a permit. You need a permit, which is more than just mutual consent. How you been? It takes more than just mutual consent. It takes a plan. It takes a, uh, that, that, that purpose and then the permit of working that through. And then it takes a process, the time factor. There's a time factor that's connected to building a good relationship. Can you say amen? See, the church is to be built from every nation, tongue, and tribe, male and female, young and old. A home and a family are the same. They are built out of the strength of our diversity and our combined uniqueness. How come God doesn't give us all kids that are exactly the same? How come if you have three or four kids, how come they're not all the same? How come everyone is so different? Because God's a God of uniqueness. Amen. God is a unique God. And he wants us to learn that we're to be, that uniqueness, there's strength in diversity. Amen. How does racism and division and all these things come? Because we don't want to accept anybody else's uniqueness. We think everybody should be our gender. We think everybody should be our color. We think everybody should have our same values and our same mindset. We think everybody should have our same personality. Amen. Amen. So. Good stuff. So think about it. Our diversity. Combined uniqueness. What is it, Mary? You take two totally different people, opposite people, and throw them into a relationship together. And then they learn how to work it out, how to work through your differences. And every time you do that, what's happening? You are growing. Because it is a giving and a receiving. You're giving something up in order to receive something in exchange. Amen? You watch people that are strong-willed butt heads together. Pretty soon you realize, man, this just giving me a headache. Maybe we ought to begin to work together instead of fight together. Amen. God didn't give us marriage so we could have a sparring partner. Amen. Some people have weekend dates. Other people have weekend fights. Moving right along. Some people just tell well, that we, we choose to fight over everything. Well, that must be enjoyable. Hallelujah. See, our mission as a church is a simple threefold plan. We want to reach the lost and win souls. We want to make disciples and we want to build strong families. People say, well, why, why we're buying the building? Why, isn't this good enough? Why do we need to double the capacity of our sanctuary? Because we're on a mission for more. We're on a mission for more. We want more people saved. We want more children ministered to. We want to build more strong families. Can you say amen? We're just on a mission for more. Hallelujah. See, if you were to ask what we're trying to accomplish here, it would be just that. If you look at it in reverse order, if the home is not strong, the church will never be what it should be. If our homes are not strong, guys, the church can never be what it should be. How many know when there's a struggle in your home, you really don't feel like getting involved in church? I got too much trouble at home to get involved, to add more trouble. Because then when that goes awry, you think every relationship comes with trouble. Are you doing all right? This is really good. You should be amen and better than you are. <laughs> Hallelujah. We do. It, it, it's so, now, now listen, how does all that come? Where does that come? If God, if everything in the Bible 
Sometimes I just think we just need to get smarter than the devil. And I'm saying the devil's not that smart. He doesn't have to be because we fall for the same stupid stuff all the time. People, I mean, how many know people get offended all the time? Where does offense come from? It doesn't come from God. So who's sowing the seed of offense? I'm going to diverge just a minute. I put this in my outline. You don't have it. You weren't ready for it. <laughs> Five keys to overcoming offense. I'll give them to you next week, or we'll get them to you on the, on the last week when soon I come back. Five keys to overcoming offense. Jesus said this, offense are going to come. Just listen for a minute. He said offense is going to come. You have to make a choice. Am I going to allow offense to become a stumbling block, or am I going to turn into a stepping stone of growth? Offense comes to cause you to stumble, to cause you to break away, to separate. So what do I have to do? First of all, don't curse it. Don't curse the offense. Don't speak against it. Don't, don't, don't put it down. Be careful how you speak against offense. Don't curse it. When you curse it, you're also cursing yourself. You're, you're working against yourself. Secondly, don't rehearse it. Don't rehearse it. Rehearsing it only causes it to grow inside of you. And then, don't nurse it. Don't nurse it. When you nurse it, what you're doing is you're using that as a validation and you're drawing strength from it and you use it as an excuse for where you're at. So you don't want to curse it. You don't want to rehearse it. You don't want to nurse it. And you have to disperse it. You have to release. Jesus said it like this when he appeared to his disciples. Whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. In other words, he said, operate by release. Now, it doesn't mean things don't upset you. It doesn't mean things don't irritate you and frustrate you. But you have to choose not to be a carrier. Because once you become offended, you become a magnet for more offense. And it compounds and it spreads. Offense is like a cancer. In fact, the Lord gave this to me years ago. Offense is a wound. That when it becomes infected with bitterness, it produces death. Offense is a wound that if you allow it to become infected with bitterness, it will produce death. Not in the one you're offended at, in you. Doing all right? And then lastly, you need to know that God will reverse the offense. He will turn it around. God always turns evil around for good. Amen? All right, let's finish up. Look back inside your outline. The church began in homes as a place of its foundation. Acts 2 and verse 17, God said, your sons and your daughters. So it wasn't just for the adults. That ministry was for the sons and your daughters. That baptism and the outpouring, the anointing of God was for your sons and your daughters. Acts 2 verse 38 and 39, the promises to you and to your children. Acts 2, 42 and 40 through 47, that they were continually both in the temple and in the house. So church and the home are connected together. That's why we're, we're focusing on life groups and building our life groups and encouraging you to be a life group leader. Open your home. Let people come into your home. Bring God into your home. Can you say amen? 
Colossians 4 and verse 15. The church, <coughs> excuse me, is still in the house. Paul writing to those at, at Colossia there and exhorting those who have churches in their home. Acts 16 and Acts chapter 10 both referred to household salvation. The Philippian jailer was said, believe on the Lord and you and your house will be saved. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 got all of his family there together and his whole house got saved when Peter came down and preached. God is a God of family. Amen? And our faith is a family faith. The church cannot be what the home is not. The church cannot be what the home is not. Serving God has always been a household family decision. Amen. How many know we have to live what we say we believe? You know why? Your kids are watching. You have to live what you say you believe. Why? Because our children are watching us. Think about it. A family is a small congregation. Family is a small congregation. That's why the encouragement in, in uh, Timothy, we don't have time to read it, but if you want to be a bishop or a deacon in the church, if you want to serve as an elder or a deacon in the church, what does it say? You have to have your family under control. You have to know how to pastor your family before you can lead in the church. Amen. Because what you have there is what you're going to bring into here. Amen. So, if the family, there's a difference between strong and weak. Strong families produce strong churches. Weak families produce a weak church. If we build strong homes, we can build a strong, healthy church. But if the home is weak, the church will be weak. Leadership in the home is a direct reflection of leadership in the church. We cannot be one way in the church and another way at home. I can't shift and walk through the doors and become spiritual here if I can't be spiritual at home. Can you say amen? Is this all right this morning? Proverbs 4 and verse 23 tells us this. It says to guard your heart because it is, that is where the issues of life come from. We're supposed to guard our heart because make all diligence to guard your heart because out of your heart flows the issues of life. Your very life flows out of your heart. But look at this. Because the home is where the heart is, it requires the same level of protection. Your home requires the same protection as your heart. Guard your home. Guard your heart. Home is where your heart is. What happened? My heart begins to drift away from my home, from my marriage, from my family. Next thing we know what happens, I drift away. Amen? Because my heart is no longer there. So your home has to be protected with the same diligence as your heart. Look at this. God made marriage and the church as a direct reflection of each other. Go with me in your Bibles real quick to Ephesians chapter 5. While you're turning there, I'll start reading verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Wow. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. How many know in the marriage, that's what we say, this is now, uh, uh, um, or at creation, Adam said about the woman, this is now what? 
bone of my bone and what? Flesh of my flesh. Look what Paul just said. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bone. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning the Christ and the church. Nevertheless, that each one of you in particular so love his own wife of himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so, there, if you read in 1 Corinthians 15, there's two Adams in the earth. The first Adam, and then Jesus is the second Adam. Amen? And so, the same way. But now, as Adam and Eve were joined together, now Jesus as the second Adam. He's being joined to the bride, to the body of Christ. So, we become one with him. Are you getting this today? And so, if, if, if I know I'm laying a foundation here, but if we don't understand that, why is there such an attack against relationship? Because God always calls two to be one. And out of that coming together, when two become one, they lose their individuality and they gain a new identity as one together. And the life that flows out of that, two people come together, we give up our individual identities as individuals to become one new person together and to live out of what the new life that flows out of that union together. Are you listening to me? So important. And the devil works to destroy that. That place of commonality in our life. So think about it. As men, if we cannot love our wives, how can we love the bride of Christ? As women, if you can't respect and follow your husband, how you respect and follow Christ? Let, let me just go back to that. When the Bible says it like this, we think, oh, it says, don't be unequally yoked together. And it speaks about believers and non-believers coming together. If you're going into a union with somebody who is a non-believer as a Christian, then what principles is their relationship going to be governed by? What are their foundational principles for relationship? If it's not a biblical view and a foundation for relationship, then it's not going to be giving. Are you listening to me? Be more taken. And then after a while, how, 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 what happens in divorce? You'll hear people say, well, they fell in love. And they just go, I just don't love them. I like them, but I don't love them. Why? Because you're emotionally bankrupt. Because a person only withdrew and never made deposits. You get an overdraft by not putting enough money in, taking too much out, and not putting enough in. Are you listening to me? And so the same thing happens in relationship. People make demand, and they're always drawn out, always making a demand on the other because they're so needy and require so much and doing that, but they're never sewing back into it. So pretty soon, they wonder, how, how come you're not responding to me? The same? Dude, you've already spent. We're bankrupt over here. You need to make a deposit. Amen. This never goes over, but it's true anyway. Hallelujah. So as a woman, if you can't respect and follow your husband, how will you respect and follow Christ? See, the church and marriage are formed and preserved through connection. And the value we place upon them to preserve, protect, and to build them. Now listen, you live in a culture that tells you everything opposite to what we're saying today. The culture around you is diametrically opposed to the principles of God's word. And you can choose either to live by the influence of culture or you can live by the truth of God's word. If you live by culture, there's no guarantee of success. Amen. And that's how the church divorce rate has gotten to the same level as the world. Because we're living by culture, not by truth. Amen. See, there's a fundamental drive within man to be connected. All of his life, he searches until he finds a place, his place of completion. The outcome of his search is based on the map and the principles that he uses to reach his goal. 
forgot to put it up there. You're mapping the principle. So what does that mean? Today we're looking for that guys are looking for a beautiful girl. I like what Jesse Savell said. I, I mean, not Jesse Savell. Jesse DePlanis said one time, he was preaching, he said, hey guys, you're young, you get married. He said, take pictures. He says, because it's all coming down. You can't force it. Gravity works on everybody. Amen. Amen. That's the way it goes. I don't care how much helium you put in that body. Amen. So what do we do? We're trying to pump up things. We're trying to fluff things back up, tone things back up. I'm sorry. Amen. But we think, oh, so so the, the criteria becomes somebody who's beautiful on the outside. I would rather somebody who's saved on the inside. Amen. And walk right and do all that stuff. Praise the Lord. So what is your map and what are the principles that you use to reach your goal? God created woman from the man so that both would know that they are not complete on their own apart from each other. Well, she's blessed because I'm in her life. No, you're just stupid. No. (laughs) Yeah. He also did it so that we would know what it was like to desire to be connected to the part which was created from you and for you. Woman was created from man for man. God was created, man was created from God for God. God did it in such a way that we would know that everything about God and working in our life is relationship. Think about all the struggles and things we have in life, people, the heartaches and pain. It's all connected to relationships. See, woman's creation was in such a way that man could understand how God feels and how much he desires to be joined with that part that came forth from him. Guys, the desires we have to have a wife and to be joined and come together, that desire is the desire that God has towards us to be joined with us. See, man finds his completeness when he is joined to his wife. And woman finds and is connected with her purpose when she is joined to her husband. They both find completeness and purpose when they are joined to their creator and heavenly father believers find their completeness when they are joined and connected to the body of christ and two become one we just read it in ephesians and that's why the devil works so hard this principle of family of church everything together you say pastor i thought we were talking about relationship everything is intertwined together they are not different relationship they are all one relationship is the key and the foundation to life the only way to have good godly relationship the worship team will come back is through Godly, principled relationships. Think about it. All the pain in life comes from disconnection. All the pain in life comes from disconnection. When we are disconnected from purpose, we produce the failures of life that leave us with broken hearts and broken lives. It's not good for man to be alone, and that begins with our relationship with God. And then through connecting with other believers in the local church. Say this with me. I was created for connection. Amen. God created you to be connected. Amen. Now, you've heard me say it before. What happens is, 
is a lot of times we start looking for connection before we're ready in relationships, especially at early ages. And that's where parental guidance comes in and dealing with things. Parents, you need to help make sure your children are ready for connection. Because going back to what I said before, if we get too connected too soon and too early, emotions get involved over our age of maturity. Amen. And so you get, go back to the, the things, the four things you need. You need a plan in that area. And people say, no, we don't. We just need each other. So there's been young people run away just to be with each other and then after the heartache and the pain. And I always say it like this, especially when it comes to relationship with our children. You set the standard that you want. You've heard me talk about the standard that we had in our home, that Sue and I had in our home for our kids. And this is all I tell parents. Yeah, it's tough sometimes to have a standard in your home. It's tough. Because you get pushback for having standards. But this is what I say. The only thing at stake is the rest of their life. Nothing else. The only thing at stake is the rest of their life. Broken heartache, pain, a child. As soon as a child comes on board, how many know your life changed for the rest of your life? Amen. And so that, that, that should come at the time when we're ready for it. Are you listening to me? So these areas are so important. And the devil knows that. The devil knows that if he can destroy your home, he can tear down the church. And he starts there at the home, tearing things down, isolating, moving away. Because people, out of all that emotion, it's hard to connect. And then relationship. And the number one way he does it, he makes you, he gets you to quit being a giver and start being a receiver. Are you doing all right this morning? So let's have to give. You know, I, I, I learned the hard way in relationship going through a failure. And you know what the Lord showed me? He showed me that I never sowed into my first relationship. I was a taker. And the Lord said, it's your fault because you, you didn't sow after I got saved. And I learned. So when soon I got married, I said, man, I'm going to be a sower. Amen. So I learned how to like what she liked. I've never asked her to like what I like. And because I sow into her in liking what she likes and doing what she likes, because I sow, I get to do what I like. I get to go play golf. And she says, have fun. You're going to play golf again? (laughs) Have fun. Amen. I get to go hunting. You're going hunting again? You need another fishing pole? How many fishing poles do you need? Are you listening to me? But sewing. Sewing. You know what I found out? It's easier to give than it is to take. To give. To give in. Some of you here today, you're bad. There's some of you here today and you have walls up in your relationships because of your past. It's hard for you to be completely open and to deal with things. Relationships hurt. I actually made a statement when I went through my failure. 
I said this. I said, I will never let anybody be that close to me again so I'd hurt me like that again. I will never allow myself to be hurt like that again. You know who I was hurting? Me. Because the only way you can love is to completely trust. The only way you can really have relationship is to be completely open and to be vulnerable to be abused. It's the only way you can truly love. You know how God loves you? He accepts you and He exposes Himself to be rejected by you. To be discarded by you. But that's the only way you can love. Love is vulnerable. It's not closed. And I'm just going to pray for you this morning. That's powerful. Because if we can allow God to heal us in these areas, we can see a breakthrough in so many other areas of our lives. So many different areas. I'm asking you to stand with me this morning. I really feel by the Spirit of God there's some people here today, right now. And in your life there's some walls. Because of relationship issues of your past. This is how hard it is. This is how important it is. Because when we raise our children up in families that don't have the right environment in them it affects them and how they move on into their relationship they become carriers and it affects them the rest of their life there's some of you and you may have walls up going all the way back to your childhood and it's hard for you to trust so many people have been abused they've been mistreated things happened in your childhood that were wrong that should have never happened but that's an offense now you have to determine whether I'm going to be a carrier of that or whether I'm going to release that allow God to heal that so I can open up and trust some of you had broken relationships like me there was a relationship in your path and you have a wall up and yeah you want to be with somebody but you have a wall up that you really don't want to be able to become that vulnerable again so you think you're protecting yourself but you're actually hindering yourself from receiving all that could come through a complete relationship this takes some boldness because I'm going to ask you right now to step out of where you are. If you have brokenness, hurt, and pain in any relationship in your past, I want you to come up here right now. We're going to pray and we're going to declare God's healing over your life. Because God wants you to have healthy and whole relationships, wherever it may be. I, I know people who do not go to church. There are people that are hard to be involved in church. I got involved in church, and I got involved with people, and they mistreated me. They misused me. So in the relationship of church, it's helped them. So now they come to church as a spectator, but they're really not involved. And if I don't open myself up to be involved, then, then I really can't have the fullness of what that relationship and all the life that is available in that relationship. Is there anybody else? I feel like the Lord's speaking to a couple more hearts. God really wants to help you this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just wait just a moment. Thank you, Father. Just pray. Come on. Everybody in the house, just pray for a moment. Father, I thank you today for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Father. You are the healer. Jesus, you said you came to heal the brokenhearted. You came to heal the brokenhearted. Lord, when relationships fail, it breaks our heart. We experience brokenness in our hearts, in our emotions. But Lord, you said the Spirit of the Lord was upon you to heal the brokenhearted. So Father, I thank you right now. You are moving by your Spirit. 